Gracious God, may that psalm that we read be true of us, that we are thirsty for you. Help us to sense our thirst and our need for you and to look upon you now, beholding your power and glory. Help us to be fed by you through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. It's good to be back from a a little mini-conference or retreat that we had the clergy, myself, went to Colorado Springs Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. We got back Wednesday night, and uh, it was a good time. We the, the main speaker was a man named Bruce Walkey, who is 85 or 86, 85 years old, and still preaching the Word of God with a lot of passion and energy. And so he inspired all of us youngins. <laughs> Taught us how it was done. But it was good to be with the bishop and other clergy as well. So, give thanks to God that we're here safely. I want to continue uh, in this series of sermons from the Lord's Prayer. And again, we're studying this to help us in our own prayer life. And I hope it's been helping you through this season of Lent as we seek to grow in fellowship with God. And one thing that I've tried to stress is that It's fine just to say the Lord's Prayer and just to repeat the words, but Jesus is giving here topics for us to pray about. And as we do that, He wants us to shape us into a certain kind of person. He wants us uh, to be shaped into kingdom people. He calls His disciples into the kingdom of God. And so when we pray this prayer regularly, or we pray about some of the very things that Jesus is saying here that we ought to pray about, God is working on our hearts and doing that shaping and molding work, making us more into the image of Christ, um, people who are trusting in God and living in his kingdom. And we come to this matter of forgiveness that we talked about last week. We need the forgiveness of God for our own sin. But I said we're going to hold off and we're going to talk about what this means. The second part of this petition means for our life. That is, we're called to forgive others. Jesus wants his disciples, to know that they're forgiven by God and therefore be willing to forgive others. So we come to this verse 12 of Matthew chapter 6. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Last summer, Nadine Collier shocked the world when in a courtroom she looked into a camera and said these three words, I forgive you. And she was speaking to Dylan Roof, a man who had murdered her mother, her 70-year-old mother. Remember that happening in South Carolina in Charleston at the AME Church? There were nine people there for a Bible study and Dylan Roof, the white supremacist, came into that Bible study, sat through the Bible study and murdered these people in cold blood. And Nadine Collier's mother, 70-year-old mother, was one of those people. And she looked into that camera, and Dylan Roof was um, looking, I guess, into a monitor. And uh, she said these words. She said, You took something very precious to me. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But I forgive you. If God forgives you, I forgive you. And those words in that video went around the world. And it raised some conversation about forgiveness. Some people immediately said, 
this is amazing. This woman has great faith. I couldn't do what she did. I remember seeing some people on the media, secular media, saying, I, I don't even understand how a person could do that. Um, other people were saying this is a great example of Christian faith lived out in the, in the world today. Then there were some other people who said, well, wait a second, that just seems so easy and so quick. And um, is, she, is she making light of what has happened to her mother and this grave crime that was committed? So it raised the whole question of forgiveness in the public arena. And what I want to do today is uh, instruct us on the Christian teaching regarding forgiveness. And we're just going to get into it this morning. <laughs> I'm going to do another sermon next week on forgiveness. Uh, I think the church father was, I think it was Tertullian who said, in the Lord's Prayer we have the essence or the epitome of the Gospel. And it's like as you start to unravel the Lord's Prayer, you see more and more connections to the entire Gospel message. And so uh, I think that's what's happening to me as I'm trying to make our way through this prayer is I'm seeing more and more connections that we need to focus on. What is the Christian teaching when it comes to forgiveness? Well, one thing that's quite clear in this prayer is that Jesus is linking our willingness to forgive others as a condition for experiencing God's forgiveness ourselves. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So in other words, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts in the same way, in the same manner that we have forgiven our debtors. And so Jesus is teaching clearly here that we really can't expect God's forgiveness of our sins if we're one unwilling to forgive other people. And in fact, Jesus makes that quite plain after he gives the Lord's Prayer. He comes back to this topic of forgiveness right away in the Gospel of Matthew. This is the only petition of this prayer that Jesus elaborates on further. This issue of forgiveness. And here's what he says in verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Very challenging teaching and words from Jesus Christ. Now, it's important for us to get clear that Jesus is not saying, and the Bible does not teach, that we have to forgive in order to earn God's forgiveness. We don't earn God's grace. We don't earn God's forgiveness. That is a gift. We are saved by grace through faith. And this is a gift of God. It's not something we earn. In fact, Jesus is, again, teaching this in the context of the Lord's Prayer, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is given to people who are already followers of Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is primarily directed to disciples of Jesus Christ, whom he's already called. And he's called them by his grace. So it's, it's not as if Jesus is saying, you have to do this in order to be in the kingdom, in order to be a disciple. No, these are already disciples. The Sermon on the Mount is not a list of ways you get into the kingdom of God. It is a lifestyle that you're called to live because you are in the kingdom of God. You understand the difference? His grace precedes our obedience. His call directs us to a way of life. 
And so Jesus is teaching his disciples, because you are children of the Father, because you are my disciples, this is how you ought to live as forgiven people. You need to forgive others. We, we are called to be a community of the forgiven who are willing to forgive others. We are called to be a community of those who know the mercy of God and so we're merciful to other people. And so I want to talk today about what Christian forgiveness is and, and also what it's not. And actually, I'm going to start there with what Christian forgiveness is not, because some people will just reject this notion of forgiveness because they have a misconception of it. And um, I want to sort of alleviate those misconceptions or correct those misconceptions, rather. And I found very helpful this writing by a man named Alfred Poirier, who is a pastor and a Christian mediator, and he's involved in peacemakers ministries. So he has a lot of experience with mediation and reconciliation. This is what one of the things he does. And he's written a book about this. And he says this. First of all, forgiveness, Christian forgiveness is not, it is not overlooking wrongdoing. Christian forgiveness is not closing an eye to injustice or trivializing great offense. Biblical forgiveness does not pretend that sin is consequence free. And unfortunately, sometimes forgiveness is talked about that way and even practiced that way in the church as if we just need to pretend that nothing wrong happened. And here's a sad example that Poirier gives in his book. He said there was a young girl. This must be a case that he was involved with. A young girl who was sexually abused by her pastor. She goes public. She tells members of the congregation what's happened to her. And they immediately respond, you have to forgive him. They don't even deal with the sin that's gone on. And they don't really hold his feet to the fire. And so she calls on denominational leaders. And she tells them, this is what's happened to me. His credentials need to be revoked. Something needs to be done. And they drag their feet in response. And she still is waiting for justice to be done. In that case... The sin has been trivialized and the responsibility has been minimized. But that is not the way that Jesus talks about forgiveness. In fact, when Jesus teaches on forgiveness and reconciliation, he precedes that discussion by talking about how serious sin is. And we see this in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 18, we read that parable, the famous parable of the unforgiving servant. And before Jesus gets there to talk about reconciliation and forgiveness, he talks about how terrible and destructive sin is. You remember what he says about those who cause a little one to sin. This is Matthew 18, verses 6 through 7. Whoever causes one of these little ones to sin, or one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, or to, be, to, to stumble is literally what that means. If you do something that causes a little one, a new believer or a child to stumble in their discipleship to Christ, he's saying it would be better for that person 
to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. That's not minimizing sin. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. Jesus is warning us against being a stumbling block to others because of our sin or creating conditions in which sin flourish or tempting people to sin. And then he goes on in verses 8 and 9. He says he warns people to repent and to fight against sin. He warns people that a life given over to sin and rebellion against God leads to separation from God eternally. So verse 9, he says, it's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter into the kingdom with one eye than to enter into the fires of hell with two. So this is what Jesus says before he even gets to forgiveness and reconciliation. He says, this is how horrible sin and evil is. This is how it destroys. This is how it's spiritually deadly. And he affirms in the strongest possible ways the moral responsibility that we have as human beings to repent of our sin and with God's help to not be offense to others. So here's my point, brothers and sisters. When you forgive someone as a Christian, you are not saying to them, what you did to me doesn't really matter. You are not making light of what has happened to you. When we call somebody to forgive, we're not saying you have to minimize how much this has hurt you or minimize the responsibility of the person who's hurt you. What we do is we take our cue from Jesus Christ who teaches us very clearly that sin is heinous and horrendous. It has consequences. It hurts people. It offends a holy God. And it deserves God's punishment. And it puts us in moral debt. Puts us in debt toward God who is holy. So that is all up front. And that makes it clear just how great a gift forgiveness is. This is how serious sin is. And if God can forgive that, what grace and mercy. Jesus paid off the debt for our sin at the cross. And so when we forgive somebody, we're saying, I'm not minimizing what you've done to me necessarily. I'm not trivializing sin, but I am offering you this gracious gift because God has revealed that kind of grace to me. It's not that sin is trivial, it's that God's grace is so much greater. So that's one thing that Christian forgiveness is not. It's not overlooking wrongdoing. It's not doing away with consequences. It starts with the idea that sin is harmful and heinous and terrible, but God's grace is greater. Now, here's another thing that Christian forgiveness is not. And this is very popular in our culture today. In fact, if you, like I did this week, Google forgiveness, and you just begin to follow the links, you'll see that there are various ministries and institutes uh, related to forgiveness. There's even forgiveness studies in secular campuses. And in one of these um, uh, forgiveness institutes or 
Um, it was an organization of some sort that studied forgiveness and the dynamics of it and the psychology of it. The major point on this website is that you need to forgive for yourself. You need to forgive for yourself. It's forgiveness as self-help, forgiveness as self-therapy. I don't want to set that aside because there's great truth in that. If you hang on to bitterness and anger against another person, it's going to affect you in a negative way. I think all of us can relate to that. Uh, we've all probably known people who hang on to bitterness and anger and resentment. And it's not good for them. And it's not good for us to do that at all. And so I don't want to minimize that or set that completely aside. But I do want to say this. That's not primarily what biblical forgiveness is. It's not primarily about us. Or me, rather. It is about us together. It is about community not so much individual. It is about a relationship that needs to be reconciled. Not just making myself feel good. Okay, so, so forgiveness in the New Testament is almost always, in fact, I haven't studied this enough to really say this 100%, but I think if you did a search on forgiveness whenever it's used in the New Testament, you're going to find it's in the context of community. And the, and the goal is reconciliation with somebody who's been offended by you or you've offended them. So it can't be just, I forgive this person and I feel better about it and, and the relationship can slide away. It is, I forgive this person and now I'm going, to, I'm going to go to them and we're going to work this out. There's going to be reconciliation that is at the end of this, if that's possible. Okay? So God loves reconciliation. God is a God of reconciliation. God wants us to be reconciled with Him and then He wants to see reconciliation spread between people. Because that embodies... The gospel. And so reconciliation in the church, forgiveness and reconciliation in the church between brothers and sisters in Christ is a witness, a living witness to the gospel and the power of the gospel. And reconciliation within families, especially Christian families. It should not be the case that there are Christian families where people are not talking to one another and they haven't talked to one another for year after year after year. That's a that's a it's just a poor witness to the gospel. It's actually a contradiction to the gospel. It should not be the case that we have in churches. I'm not speaking specifically about any situation here in this church. I'm not aware of any situation like this, but it, it should not be the case that in a church there are members in the body of Christ who don't talk to one another because of some offense that's being nursed, some grievance that's being hung on to. That is a contradiction to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, forgiveness is the way that God has given us to reconcile relationships. I read a story this week about a 19th century Anglican bishop named Charles Richard Sumner. He was appointed by King George to be his, King George IV, to be his chaplain, his domestic chaplain. And this happened before he got to be a bishop. He was just a young guy. And the king saw his talent and his ability and said, I want you to be my personal chaplain. Well, one day, this uh, Charles Sumner saw the king chewing out one of the king's servants, one of the servants. He was reading him the riot act. 
And he actually was so upset with this servant. I don't know what the servant did that the king said, you're done. You're, you're fired. You know, to use modern, <laughs> modern language. You're fired. You're out of here. Well, Charles Sumner, this chaplain, saw the king do that. And he went up to the king. This is, this is uh, the precociousness of youth, I guess. And he said, I'm not giving you Holy Communion. I saw how you treated that servant. And there needs to be forgiveness. And until there's forgiveness, I'm not giving you Holy Communion. You need to forgive him and you need to reinstate him. And I'll let you think about that. And then he left the king to think about it. The king called him back in and he said, I, I thought what you said and, and, and that's, that's right. I need to forgive him and reinstate him. I'll do that. And he said, okay. Sumner said, okay. Then we're going to have communion and I, I want the servant to be there. And the king demurred. He said, I, hmm, I don't know about that. So it's not going to happen unless the servant is there. And so finally the king was convinced that that was the right thing to do. He humbled himself and Sumner served him Holy Communion, the king knelt next to the servant and there was reconciliation. But that's the point. Whether it's between a king or a servant or a pastor or a lay person or a husband or wife or a child and a parent, there needs to be reconciliation through forgiveness. That's why God gave us this great gift. And so it's not just about us. It's not really primarily about us as an individual. It's about us as Community, a community of the body of Christ. Well, those are sort of the negative uh, points that I wanted to make. What Christian forgiveness is not. It doesn't minimize sin. It's not primarily about how I feel. But here's what it is about. And we've already talked about this. It's about God. Your willingness to forgive another person is evidence that you know a forgiving God. It's a litmus test. And if you're not willing to forgive another person, then there's a problem spiritually in your life. It's an indication that perhaps you don't understand or appreciate the depths of your own sin that's been forgiven. That's the point of the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. The king represents God, of course. And he has forgiven a servant the debt of 10,000 talents. Now, when we read that, it probably doesn't mean too much to us. But if you just give it a little study and you look at your study notes in the ESV study Bible or the NIV Bible, they will tell you that that amount of money, 10,000 talents, is equivalent of something like $6 billion dollars. In U.S. currency. And the other interesting thing is that I did a little research on this is that that was more money than was in circulation in the entire Palestinian territory during this time. So it was just an unheard of amount of money. Jesus is using this hyperbole to make a point. This is what our sin debt looks like in God's eyes. Do you know how much money is in circulation in the U.S. economy? A lot, yeah. $1.4 trillion. So this is IRS time. Let's say you get a, get a, a bill for $1.4 trillion. This is what you owe Uncle Sam. Well, that's ridiculous. And there's no way, of course, if it were true, that you could make a dent in it. I know there's some people here that have some resources, but you can't make a dent in $1.4 trillion. You can give millions to that, and it's not going to make a difference. And that's how it is with God and our sin. 
And some people think that I can kind of make up my sin before God. I can kind of even out, balance the scales. If I do some good works, it'll balance the scales of the bad things that I've done. If I just do enough good things, then God will look upon me with favor. And what Jesus is teaching in this parable is, no, there's no possible way that you can buy God off or pay him off. You're spiritually bankrupt, and so am I. Our only hope is that God takes care of the debt himself. And that's what he's done at the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. The death and resurrection, the perfect life of Jesus. Gives us makes possible for us to be forgiven. And the debt is paid. And so that's why we can forgive other people. That's why we ought to forgive other people. So next Sunday, I'm going to, again, (laughs) preach on this one more time. I think it's just going to be one more time. We'll get even more practical about who we should forgive, how we should forgive, when we should forgive. I'm going to try to answer it very practically because I want our church, and I know it already is this way. I want us to build on what's already good and what God is doing among us. But I want our church to be a forgiving people, not to hang on to grudges. Not where there, a place where there's walls between people. That just needs to come down. Because God has forgiven us so much, we can be forgiving to others. So with God's help, we can live out this prayer. Father, forgive our debts as we also have forgiven those who are indebted to us. Let's pray. Are you thankful, brothers and sisters, for the amazing forgiveness of God? The debt that He paid off for you and for me? Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown Mercy. Is there someone in your life that you need to show mercy to? Is there someone in the church that you need to be reconciled to? Let's pray and think about these things this week. Ask God to lead us. Lord, we thank you for the immeasurable gift of your forgiving love. We really don't have a conception of it. We try to understand what you teach us, Lord Jesus, about this great debt. And so often, we don't grasp it, but through the work of Your Holy Spirit, we have been convicted of sin and we have tasted the forgiving love and grace of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us then to turn and forgive those who are in our debt. Help us to be willing to forgive. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.